everyone. Welcome back to Therefore Podcast. I'm Megan Martin. I'm Judy Mustang. And I'm um, sorry we had to skip last week. We, uh, I, I had to deal with a sickness. Um, sometimes when you keep going and going and going, God says, no, you have to stop and take a break. And I did. And I slept for a good day. A good day. Um, but we are, are back. And um, last time we we left Job, he was listening to his friend, his very, very well-intentioned friend, um, Eliphaz, basically telling him that he needed to repent. And um, we're getting ready to go into Job kind of responding to that. So it says in Job chapter six, at the very beginning, Job replies, if only my grief could be weighed and placed with my calamity on the scales, for then it would outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty have pierced me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does a wild donkey bray over fresh grass or an ox low over its fodder? It is tasteless food eaten without salt or is there flavor in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are loathsome food to me. It's interesting to note that Job thinks that this is God still. Still. Like we have this telescope view, but he only has a microscope view. And so his microscope view is that God is doing this to him. And he has called it out as God's poisoned arrows. Isn't it amazing that we seem to, even in instances like these, prejudge God? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, almost to the irony yeah. that God was like, have you considered my servant Job? Right. I mean, this really ought to give us, um, I don't know, just the idea of maybe to step back. Yeah. Perspective. We need yeah, perspective. perspective. Yeah. Because I don't know that we always have perspective. I think sometimes that we talk very, very quickly, way before we have perspective. Eh, slow to speak. Yeah. I don't know that we're always slow to speak. No. I think it's, again, ironic. We, I've said it so many times, I hold on to the idea and the fact that Satan doesn't have the power that a lot of people seem to think that he has, that he doesn't have authority over me unless God gives him such authority. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's not omni-anything. And even though like this is him, what a time to have been like, Satan is coming after me, you know, or like I'm wrestling with you know, he didn't. He threw it back to God. It seems like that's the strategy of the enemy, isn't it? Yes. He always wants us to blame God. He's not even going to, I mean, he's so deserving of the blame. Thank you. And yet we are so quick to instead throw it to to the other, to the Almighty, who is just and good and all that we know of his characteristics. You know, I was always told that it's really simple. God is good. Mm-hmm. The devil is bad. <laughs> that about sums it up, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, how do we get that somehow misconstrued? I don't know, but we certainly do. What interesting words here, though, that he has about the food and the cows and or the ox that he brings up. It's very interesting to me. Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Do you think he's comparing these to the words of Eliphaz? 
Like, is he saying that Eliphaz's words are just that bland to him, that they are weak and flavorless? Like, so Eliphaz, well-intentioned Eliphaz. That's what I'm going to start. I need to, like, put that in my Bible, that that's his nickname. Well-intentioned Eliphaz. (laughs) (laughs) If that's the case, then we have lots of people in our lives. We do. We do. We have lots of people who are well-intentioned. He was well-intentioned, though. He thought that he... I mean, past experience and prior knowledge says that Job had clearly messed up and that this was, he needed to um, repent. He just didn't have the telescope. He had a microscope. But Job knows that he doesn't have anything to repent for. And so he is, has taken in Eliphaz's words as just words, like just words. They don't mean anything to him because he doesn't feel that sense of ownership or that sense of conviction. You know, when you're listening to someone, it happens to me so often. And my daughter too, like we're always kind of fascinated by it. <laughs> like, you know, somebody preaching will say something and you'll look at the person sitting next to you and go, do they know? Do they know? Like, yeah. that's about me? Are they, are you talking to me today? <laughs> like it, Job didn't have that conviction. Yeah. So interesting word choice, though. What else does he say here? If only my request were granted and God would fulfill my hope that God would be willing to crush me, to unleash his hand and cut me off. It still brings me comfort and joy through unrelenting pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Wow. He's wishing for his death. And taking comfort and joy in knowing that he's withstanding it without denying the Holy One. I mean, this seems just like a the ultimate case of hope deferred. Yes. You know, I mean, the Bible yes. says in Proverbs that, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Yes. And obviously his heart is sick, um, which if any of this had happened to us, our heart would be sick as well. And it's, far, it's really hard to find hope and in the midst of these situations, and yet he's found hope in, in the statement of, I haven't denied right. the words of God. I mean, he has, he's, we say that grief is a cycle. You go through it in and out of it and back around again sometimes, and it's never like, it doesn't have to be a straight path. No. And so I think we are seeing a bit of a return to Job chapter three here. This is our, you know, back then he was cursing the day of his birth and far beyond that. But here again, he's, he thinks he's ready to die. He wishes that God would just end his life, though he never says anything about suicide. It's just a, God, would you please just go ahead and end this? You know, and it's, it's hard because in those moments of grief, it's really hard to see outside of that moment in our life. Mm -hmm. It's really hard for us to see that life won't always be this way. It's really hard for us to see a new season Mm. in our life. And it's our perspective is so um, focused on what is going on around us Mm -hmm. that anything outside of that is almost unreal. And, And that's where, that's what we have to change. That's where we have to shift. We have to look beyond our circumstance we have to look beyond that and, and we have to find hope in the midst of trouble, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of grief, 
And man, we have to hold on to that. I have a, a quote here. I'm not sure who said it, but it's a good one. When the answer does not come, when instead of the release of cutting off, we have the continuity of pain and a great silence that accompanies it, then let us remember the story and remain confident that there is some explanation and that when it comes, we shall thank God that he did not give us our request. I think that's the hardest part is that we, I don't even know that we go through this in any capacity because I know that when I'm going through difficult times and I've never experienced anything like this, but God's there. Like, I don't, even if he's not necessarily like providing a way out at that time, or if he's not showing me what the correct answer is or whatever, if he's letting me go through it, I still know that he's there because I can still, I still have the Holy Spirit inside. That doesn't, he doesn't leave me. And, and so Job is in silence. Like God strengthened him. God did not comfort him. Yes. And, and, you know, I always say that God's not always sensual. He doesn't, you don't always see him, feel him and hear him. Right. But we must always trust that he's always there. I always tell people that the presence of our problem doesn't mean the absence of God. Absolutely. I mean, it never, matter of fact, all throughout the Bible, whenever there was a problem, Jesus was in the midst of it. Yes. So for us to think that the presence of our problem is the absence of God is actually foolish because that's not true. He's just not always sensual. He doesn't always let us hear, feel, and see. But that's where faith comes in. That's where trust comes in, knowing that no matter whether I see, hear, or feel him, I know that he's there. Right. And that never changes. And that's what I hold on to. That's why we have the word of God. I was looking through some of the various ways of of saying what Job had said there. Um, Job says um, that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Some of the other translations, I guess, say um, that I have not disobeyed the words of the Holy One or that I have um, I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. Yeah, so I say mine says I haven't hidden. I haven't the hidden words. the words of the Holy One. You know, don't you think that sometimes we hide the word and we don't want to bring it up inside right. of us? I mean, the Lord gives us the answers to everything that we have. I, that's why he says that my people perish for lack of knowledge. That's why the word needs to be strong inside of us. So when troubles come up that we can we can fight with the word of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, the word of God should be in our arsenal because the Bible says that we <laughs> yes. don't fight against flesh and blood. He said our, the weapons of Absolutely. our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. I mean, he gives us, you know, the weapon that we hold every day and if we don't know that, how can we fight? It reminds me of, gosh, this is such a silly analogy, I guess, but it reminds me of Alice in Wonderland. Have you ever, have you seen the, I don't know, the one that came out in like 2008 or whatever? She, Alice, you know, has to pick up the sword to fight the Jabberwocky is what it is. And um, she won't. She says she can't but it's hers and it's written that she's going to be the one to do it. And she still refuses, even though it's made for her, it's made for her. And she's the only one who can use it correctly. How often do we, like this word was made for us. How often are we just afraid to grab a hold of it and do it thinking that we're not going to be strong enough because that was her fear. She was, she thought that she, you know, she's just a 
random girl who fell down a hole. Like she wasn't ever thinking that she could ever be strong enough to wield the sword and take down this Jabberwocky. But how often do we not pick up our sword? Out of fear. Wow. Fear is very paralyzing. Yeah. You know, that's why he tells us what, 365 times. I know. You know, do not fear. Yeah. You know, fear will paralyze us. It will stop us. It will put us in cycles of bondage. It will keep us from moving to the place that God intends for us to move to. It'll it'll keep us bound for years in a place. It'll keep us from doing things. Yes. Isn't it amazing what fear does? It's a fear of, fa- of failure has always been one of the biggest things that's held me back. And fear of man. Yes. You know, and the Bible says in Proverbs that the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. How many times have we not done something because we were afraid of what somebody else would think? Yeah. yeah. It brings a snare. It keeps us from doing things. It keeps us from being creative. It keeps us from stepping out. It keeps us from singing on the worship team or teaching yes. that you know, class or preaching that sermon or talking to that person about Jesus, all because we are afraid. The root of Afraid fear, of what? That's it. Fear I of know. man. Man. Brings a snare. I mean, what can man do to us, he says. Isn't it funny, though, that we, that we, I mean, it's a legit struggle. It is. I think if we can overcome that. You know, what's interesting here is that it seems like before Job, although he's praying for his death, essentially, he has like this one consolation, and that's his lack of denial of the words of the Holy One. Even though he like emphatically rejects Eliphaz's words, he holds tight to to the Holy One, even in the midst of all of that. Job continues on there. What strength do I have that I should still hope? What is my future that I should be patient? Is my strength like that of stone or my flesh made of bronze? Is there any help within me now that success is driven from me? A despairing man should have the kindness of his friend, even if he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. I'm going to read that one again. A despairing man should have the kindness of a fr- of his friend, even if he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as faithless as wadis, I think is what it says, as seasonal streams that overflow, darkened because of the ice and the inflow of melting snow, but ceasing in the dry season and vanishing from their channels in the heat. It's kind of harsh judgment there, Job. I mean, he really did hope deferred. No hope. There's no hope there. Not a lack of hope in God. That never seems to be his thing. It truly is just a lack of hope of of his existence. Just of his self. You know, as I thought about him talking about his friends, (laughs) I was thinking about Eliphaz and he... I don't remember him asking Job any questions Mm-mm. about how he was feeling or what had happened in his life or what was going on. He just started he in just with... began to make statements. Yeah. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We just begin to make statements before we ever ask questions. I mean, really, if I'm going through something, I want somebody to ask me some questions before you just... Don't presume. judge me. Yeah. Don't judge me. Don't, don't yeah. presume something. Um, please get to know me mm-hmm. before you make a statement about me. Um, even if you're, even if you're a friend, that's it. Cause sometimes you have no idea. No, no clue. Girl, sometimes we don't even know the things that our kids are going to do. How are we going to know what our children or, you know, what friends, what our friends are going to do? I mean, and, and here they 
think that they know him well enough to presume something about him. Yeah. That isn't true. I can remember when I was going through like separation and divorce, a a mutual friend of my ex-husband and I um, sent me a very lengthy email and very similar to kind of this, although in my mind, I've never made that comparison until now, but just kind of going over all the things that truly saying I should repent from and that I was messing up and that I needed to do everything I could to, you know, make this right. And to, and I remember thinking at the time, you have no idea what is going on in my world. You have no idea. Like not only in, in my particular instance, not only had you not been a part of my life for the last 10 years, eh, seven years, whatever, like long enough to not know me anymore, you know, to, to have any kind of, I remember thinking back then the audacity of this person to never reach out beforehand, to never send any message or email or phone call or anything prior to this moment. And then sending this message of judgment is what it was. And I'm not like, thou shalt not judge. Well, okay, that there's a lot to that context other than you shouldn't judge, right? That that's not um, as, as cut and dry as people like to make it out to be. But certainly don't judge people when you don't know what's going on. You have no clue what's going on. And even if you do. Yes. Or even if you think you do. You think you do. I think the biggest thing is that we have a tendency to make statements rather than ask questions. You know, I think that when we see somebody that we know maybe walking through a hard time or even a time that we may not understand and even have a preconceived idea about, I think one of the first things that we could say is, how can I help you? Right. I see that you're walking through something right now. Is there anything that I can do to help you? Yeah. Rather than saying or making a statement of of the... A blanket statement about... Of of where they think we are. Hmm. Um, And I think that, you know, just for somebody to say, how can I help you? I wouldn't have even known what to do back then to answer that. Yeah. But it would have been... Received. Yes. I mean, because that makes me want to step away from you. Because I don't feel like you're going to hear my heart. I feel like you didn't take time to hear my heart. You just had a, you know, a thought in your head that you wanted to make, like you said, a blanket statement over me rather than saying, Hey, is there anything that I can do to help you with? Can I pray with you about anything? If you need anything? Yeah. It's usually in those moments when people know how much you care, you know, um, they will, they will hear you. Yeah. They probably won't look back on that 10 years later and go, I remember that letter of indictment, really. I mean, that's what it felt like. Yes. I think those are the hardest things. I know when I was walking through, um, you know, some of the hard things that I walked through, I think the harder things for me was when people presumed things about me. Um, I wanted to defend myself. I kind of felt like Job. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to stand up and go, hey, that's really not what's happening or that's really not what happened or I wish you would come talk to me because what you heard is not true. 
and you feel like these lies and these false truths hang over you and you somehow want to rip them out of the atmosphere and you want to stand up in front of right. the whole world and say, that's not true. This isn't what's happening. Yes. Yeah. And, and you just feel like sometimes you're fighting this, like you're, like the Bible says, you're boxing the wind. Right. You know, and, and it's kind of on all sides It is because even people who have been through that or a similar situation think they know what you're going through and everybody's story is different and everybody's relationships are different. So even people who have been through what you're going through, it, it's not exact. It's never going to be exact. No. And and I I have found that those people, and I and I try not to be guilty of it myself, realizing it, but those people are just as presumptuous as others. I think sometimes we forget. Yeah, you know that. Hey, we walk through that, and this is what I needed from someone at that time. Yeah, and maybe it's just to take a, an internal look. You know, at you know, Jesus was always about making us look inside. It's always been a hard issue. It is. I mean, every time, you know, when he wrote when he, when they caught the woman in the act of adultery. Yes, I always thought it was interesting that they never brought the man. Right. You know, yeah. Takes two to be an adultery. Anyway, um, we're not told what he wrote, but we know why he wrote. Right. And with every ripple in the dirt. He was telling them that I can save what you want to kill. And if we would begin to look at people and realize that God can save what the enemy wants to kill with words or with presumptions or with lies, I think that maybe our heart and our would change our perception, our, you know, yeah, perception. Mm -hmm. Yes. I really think that we should look inward more. I think that's a hardship for us as humans sometimes. Often, I think that, actually. What else does he say here? He says, caravans turn aside from their routes. They go into the wasteland and perish. The caravans of Turna, is it Turna? Is that what? Tima? Tima. Tima, sorry. Um, the caravans of Tima look for water. The travelers of Sheba hope to find it. They are confounded because they had hoped for their arrival brings disappointment. For now, you are of no help. You see terror and you are afraid. Have I ever said, give me something, give me something, offer me a bribe from your wealth, deliver me from the hand of the enemy, redeem me from the grasp of the ruthless. Teach me and I will be silent. Help me understand how I have erred, how painful and honest, wait, how painful are honest words. But what does your argument prove? Do you intend to correct my words and treat as wind my cry of despair? You would even cast lots for an orphan and barter away your friend. But now, please look at me. Would I lie to your face? Reconsider. Do not be unjust. Reconsider, for my righteousness is at stake. Is there iniquity on my tongue? Can my mouth not discern malice? And then, I don't know why we've split this here, but Job continues on in chapter 7. Is not man consigned to labor on earth? Are not his days like those of a hired hand. Like a slave, he longs for shade. Like a hireling, he waits for his wages. So I am allotted months of futility and and nights of misery are appointed me. 
When I lie down, I think, when will I get up? But the night drags on, and I toss and turn until dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and encrusted with dirt. My skin is cracked and festering. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Wow, there's that hope deferred piece. Mm -hmm. This guy is, I mean, well, you can't even be mad at him. He's in a lot of pain. He's in a lot of pain. He's uncomfortable. He's the biggest heartache ever. And so far, he's dealt with a wife who doesn't understand and friends Friends who don't don't understand. understand, Right. And I still keep going back to this, but nobody's asking him questions. Everybody's That's what just he says. making he, statements. I mean, up here he says, what did he say? I was I was looking at it thinking that's just ironic. Um, what does your argument prove? He even says in verse 22, did I ever say give me something? Right. Like even a word. Like I didn't He's asking ask them. You. Yeah. He's like, did I ask you? say anything like i did not right? even ask you i mean i you took a breath why did you start talking <laughs> have you ever seen somebody and you look at him like i didn't ask you yes all I, the, all I mean this time, i feel actually. like job's like dude i did not ask you verse seven chapter seven remember that my life is but a breath it's one of those verses that we all know right remember that my life is but a breath my eyes will never again see happiness the eye that beholds me no, will no longer see me. You will look for me, but I will be no more. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who goes down to Sheol will, does not come back up. He never returns to his house. His place remembers him no more. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the monster of the deep that you must keep me under guard? I just, I'm reading through these going, I get where he's at. I get it. You know, he, he was angry. Still is. But then he's also like, don't I deserve, don't I deserve to be angry about this? Don't I deserve to be upset and. And not judged in that moment. Right. You know, sometimes in that grief moment, you go through so many emotions. I mean. Sometimes all at once. All, yeah, you you feel like all your emotions are conflicting. You feel angry in one minute. Um, you feel sad. You feel all these emotions. And, and then I can remember being angry that I felt all the emotions. And I didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. I, you know, it doesn't say that he was angry with the Lord. He was just angry with life. And maybe with his friends. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I think I'd be angry with Eliphaz too. I would be like, could you take a few more just, days? Just, just yeah. take a few more days before just, you talk. Yeah. You're right. Did you say that last time? This was seven days. Thank He's you. been thinking of this for seven days. I mean, seriously, if you've t- thought of this for seven days and that's all you could come up with. But then I would wonder if that's all you could come up with and you didn't know the God that Job knew. Yeah. Because Job didn't think of God the way that he did. That is an interesting dynamic. I wonder why. Eliphaz and Job jump to such very different conclusions. I mean, we know Job's relationship with God, the reverence that he had for his Holy One. I mean, I think everybody in our world is in a different place with God. Mm -hmm. Obviously, these guys are in a different place altogether. And isn't it funny that they can be dear friends 
and yet be on two different spectrums of their perception of God and their relationship with God. Because you can have a perception of God and not have a relationship. But he has this relationship with the Lord that keeps him from speaking against his character. It's kind of crazy. It is. I, I was jumping down reading through here that on verse 15, he says, so that I would prefer strangling and death over my life in this body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are but a breath. So he repeats it. My days are but a breath. What is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart upon him, that you attend to him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me or leave me alone to swallow my spittle? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your target so that I am a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For soon I will lie down in the dust. You will seek me, but I will be no more. It's almost like, even though Job has been arguing with Eliphaz and his friends here, maybe a little bit of it got to him. Because suddenly he's like, what have I done? What have I done? Isn't it funny that somehow so when we begin to talk, we begin to process. And I know even for me today, I, I was talking and I said something and just quickly I said something. I made a statement. And in that statement, I was so convicted of what I said. Oh, did you hate that? I like don't. that immediate moment. It, it was so hard. And I, I had to apologize. I was like, I am so sorry that... I was like, when I made that statement, I realized how much pride was in that statement. And I was so ashamed of the statement that I made. And um, it was just about myself. Yeah. You know, but the the Lord just exposed something inside of my heart that I was not happy about. And it made me sad. But I'm glad he exposed it because then I could change it. If he would have never exposed it, I would have just kept going on with that feeling I don't want that. Thank right? goodness for the exposing and for the conviction. He disciplines those he loves, right? Yeah. Man, I would never not want to be convicted. You know? I can't worst, even imagine what that would be like. Yeah. The worst thing, you know, in the New Testament, the Bible talks about how he turned them over to a reprobate mind. The worst thing you could ever do is turn me over to myself. Don't turn me over to myself. Don't you think, though, that that's a lot of why the world is? Yeah. Where we are today. He's like, fine, do what you want. Do what yeah. you think is right. I keep, I, do I keep thinking about that, especially like the society as we are dealing with today. Yes. And not just today, but like in recent years. And I wonder if every generation thinks this. Yeah. If everyone, if every generation thinks, what's that saying? Like going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, literally, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if every generation goes through that, but what I'm living in now and looking around going, what in the world is going on that I have to wonder, like, has God given us over to what we want? Yeah. Which is like terrifying. It it would be terrifying. That's why I'm so thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit when he says, you know, Judy, that's not okay. Yeah. I, I don't want you saying that again. Hey, when you said that, do you realize that this is what it's exposing in you? You know, don't say that, you know, do this. Don't do that. Thank God. Yeah. For the Holy Spirit in my life. Yes. Thank the Lord. 
I don't want him to not ever convict me. I can't imagine living a life where that where he's not there. No. And I know people do. Yeah. I mean, all around us, right? Yes. Or they ignore. But I just can't imagine. They just ignore the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, and you ignore it so long that it just becomes a th- yeah. background noise. Yeah. I'm thankful because every time he convicts something inside of me, he exposes something in me, and I become free in that area. Right. Yeah. Work in progress. Yes. Always. I do appreciate that Job has talking to God here. You know, maybe not in his... Um, I don't even know that I feel like he's speaking to him in anger, but more of just like defeat, just defeat. Well, I'm glad that he's not just talking about him. Right. He's actually turned the relationship vertical. Right. Now, you know, sometimes we just talk about God and we never talk to him. But this whole part of asking, (laughs) what have I done? What have I done? How often do we feel like that? How often do we... Take blame yeah. when it really, really doesn't have anything to do with us. I don't know if I've talked about this book on this podcast or not before, but I know that I've talked to you about it before, but um, MK Mueller's Eight to Great, she has a section in that book where she talks about not, basically not taking offense at what other people say when they're lashing out from their own past hurts. Like sometimes it's not about you. That someone gets mad at you for something that you've done, but something that you've done is just normal life. And that's not to say don't own up to to things when you're when you are doing something that's you know not what you should be doing. But sometimes people have hurt people in the past so much so that they automatically it triggers. I hate that word trigger, but it does. It triggers that emotional response. And I wonder how often we do that with God, where we're like, what have I done? And instead of saying, okay, I'm going through this, I'm going through this with you. It's so hard to accept God's will. And knowing that he's in control all the time, always, there's not a moment that he doesn't know or a, not a moment that he doesn't have a a grasp on. And I think that's why we struggle with the idea of all the all those questions that people want to ask about God. Why does he let bad things happen to good people? I don't know. I don't know. Job didn't know, but God did. You know, and I think even though I'm never want to walk through some of the hard things that I've ever walked through again, it's Amen. in my healing process that other people have been healed, you know, and yes. other people are can come out of or overcome. Um, you know, it's because the people in the Bible overcame that I overcome. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, it's because we come out of something and our life is always bigger than us, you know, and even in this story with Job, his life is bigger than him. I mean, obviously... Um, we're still learning from it today. Right. Telescope, not microscope. Yeah. And sometimes we don't see it. No. Well, so what's our therefore for this week? I feel like we had a few. 
I think looking inward. Yes. Changing our perspective. Asking questions instead of making statements. Yes. But all of that goes to looking inward. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the Lord can ever send us out until he sends us in. I think that's the whole gospel. I've got to send you in before I can send you out. Thank God that he does. Yeah. All right, guys. We are, um, next week, we're going into chapter eight. And, um, well, friend number two steps up to the plate. So we'll see how that goes. We, um, we hope that you guys have a fantastic week. Um, Judy and I have been talking a lot. And you guys, if you've listened to our Sabbath episode, you know, we said back then that God was, he's dealing with us. God's still dealing with us. So um, our challenge to you as much as a challenge to us is to find time for a Sabbath. Find time to rest and relax in God and maybe do some of that inner reflection. We hope that you guys have a great week and we will talk to you next week, guys. Bye.